0: Welcome to MLR Kickoff, Episode Fifty Eight, with your hosts Dan Power and Pete Steinberg, featuring Major League Rugby Player of the Week, Renee Ranger.
1: Hey, folks! We are officially on baby watch in the Steinberg household. Pete, any news on the baby front before we jump into Major League Rugby?
2: No news on on the baby front. Um, I managed to squeeze in uh, my last trip um, for the. Houston game on Sunday, and then I was in Wilmington for work on Monday, got home, um, and uh, now I'm not allowed to leave. So the due date is – what day is it today? So it's um, a week from now um, is the is the due date, and a week from tomorrow is an induction date if Elliot, our baby boy, doesn't come before. So um, wife is feeling um, difficult, awkward, wants to get it over and done with, um, family members are coming in so it's all um, it's, it's all it's all exciting stuff as you know Dan
1: I love the adjective squeezed in that trip because there's going to be some squeezing going on soon and it's <laughs> not going to be pleasant but we are here to talk Major League Rugby not all the ins and outs of being a family man so let's get into Major League Rugby big weekend Pete you and I pulled double duty on two games each year in Colorado I was in Seattle on Saturday, and then, like you said, together again on Sunday. But we're actually going to kick things off down in New Orleans, where San Diego ran out winners 25-21 over New Orleans gold. And, Pete, this, this was an interesting game. I was kind of keeping tabs on this as I traveled out to Seattle. And it looked like Nola were in a pretty good spot going into the second half. But San Diego... They run them down at the end there and Nola unable to score any points in the second half. Pete, give me your thoughts on this one.
2: Well, I mean, this was, um, you know, Nola came out and and they've, they've, they've done a great job of starting fast in a lot of games. And they came out and they played well. And they were the better team in the first half. I mean, they were beating the Legion. But the Legion are just really, really efficient in terms of how they play. And so, you know, they, um, uh, they're, they're smart. They're, I mean, with Joe Peterson back, they've got um, Burton and Peterson that are kickers. Mar Nano, I thought, had um, his most impactful game. He had 11 ball carriers for 92 meters and three line breaks. I mean, he like like, you know, if you remember early on in the season, they were kind of using him as a, as a dummy. Well, they're not doing that anymore. They're getting the ball out into his hands um, and seeing what he can do. Um, got two tries like really really showing um his his ability and and you know Nola you know struggled with territory i mean i'm i'm amazed at this right uh, san diego um had 70% of the territory
1: It didn't and feel like that did it pate it, it didn't look, it didn't feel like that that's an incredible stat
2: when you when when you watch the game um, but you know when you when you look at it so so when you go through all the stats here and i'm i'm going to do some of them so Um, you know, we'll take attacking stats, right? So NOLA were 42% over the game line and 21% on the game line. And San Diego were 43% over the game line and 20% on the game. They basically have the same attacking stats. If you look at the defense, right. Um, And you say, uh, um, uh, you know, 85% tackles, uh, tackle rate for NOLA, 84% um, tackle rate for San Diego. Um, You know, Ruck retention high, um, fast rucks. Uh, you know, seventy-two percent for Nola, sixty-seven. You, you go through all of this, and you say, "This is a really, really even game." Like scrums were even, um, lineouts were were even. You know, maybe even a little bit of an edge to to Nola. Um, you know, Nola had a little bit more penalties, but it was just it was just a really even game. But it tells you just how efficient San Diego are when they get the ball. They just have so many weapons out wide. Um, And, you know, I I think one of the big, um, you know, issues is that like Tim Morpin had four missed tackles. So that's out on the wing, but that's just because like San Diego out wide have so many playmakers. And I think that's the issue. So Nola played well with them. Um, you know, was able to, to um, you know, match them in so many areas, but just didn't quite have the same number of, um, you know, X-factor players out wide.
1: Yeah, we also saw the return of Joe Peterson too, one of the stars last year. What did you think of his first hit out playing at fullback? A position he's pretty comfortable at.
2: Well, I mean, I think it's his natural position. So in his first year, that's where he played. And I think the goal was always to play him at fullback. In fact, last year san diego would do kind of like funky play you know moves where they would have him like pass luke get the ball back in his in his one game in season one well yeah his one game in se- well he, he came in as a fullback right so he was
0: a fullback in season one are you, are you disagreeing with that aaron no just that he played only one game in season one and that was in the playoffs. So it was just kind of funny to – he – if you remember, he doesn't consider it having played because he only played the one game. Right.
2: So, so he came in as a fullback. It's his natural position. Um, San Diego last year, um, you know, did funky stuff to get him out wide with the ball in his hand. You know, he, he had a couple of just great breaks. He plays so well in space, keeps the ball in two hands, makes great decisions. And I think that he, um, I I think it's a great position for him because he's able to do so much more um, on an attacking platform. And and they basically played him on fullback on defense last year, anyway. Like he was always back there to receive the kicks, and he's got you know a great a great decision. I I I just think it's yet another example of um, you know their their ability to to have you know playmakers out wide when you've got him with the ball in his hands and he, you know, he had that one break where he got caught. So his, you know, maybe his fifth gear isn't what it used to be. But when you've got, you know, Audsley and, and, you know, Toto Vassal outside, then, um, you know, they just need someone to put, you know, them into space. It'll be interesting to hear about um, JP Duplessis. I mean, you know, I'm a huge fan of his. He was the back of the year last in major league rugby and he came off at didn't look great. I mean, these guys can handle it, but it's going to be uh, that would be a loss for them, I think, in the centers.
1: They are pretty deep in the backs, but yeah, it's, it'd be really difficult to replace JP, Duple C. And like you said with Nonu, he, he was used as a decoy, which opened a lot of stuff up for JP, taking JP, playing... then brings pressure back on to Nonu. So more as well. to get
0: on the on the social, JP was playing Mr. Dad the other day and he didn't have a boot or a brace on at all. So if he's out, it probably won't be that long.
1: Okay. Similar to Nate, probably probably miss a game, maybe two. And of course oh, it think, was
2: it it was also the return for another JP. So JP Eloff um stepped onto that's the right. you know, onto the Nola Gold, which I think I think was good, got got 80 minutes, didn't didn't um have a huge opportunity to um to do much. Um, but but that's really showing some of their depth. Nick Feeks was back off coming off the bench. So I think that um finally Nola are getting kind of the back line that they think um they would like to get. And actually Nola's probably one of the few teams that could match um the bench. I thought you know they had Ben on the bench, they had um Kane Thompson on the bench, um, you know, Holden younger and Nick Feeks. You know, both both teams went went um six and two, which I thought was 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 interesting. So they were definitely expecting a forward battle.
1: Okay, Pete, let's jump across now to Austin, Texas. It was Old Glory on the road against the Austin Gilgronies. 28-19 is the final score. A late try to Old Glory, give them that uh, nine-point win. But uh, Gilgronies, they, they just gave up too much in the first half, I thought, in this game had a late comeback. It was, I believe, twenty-one nineteen right at the death, and then Old Glory too good at the at, at the very end there. And they've uh, quietly found themselves three and one, Pete, and well and truly in the mix on the East Coast now.
2: Well this was actually like a, a pretty good game. The ball in play was in over thirty um, thirty minutes, which means the, the the play's good. I mean huge number of tackles. Old Glory had 183. I mean basically Old Glory came out, I think there were twenty nothing up, right? I mean they looked really good the more I watch Robinson Robertson play their fly half the more I love him I think that guy is is a is a star um and yeah I think they're doing well Mungo Mason for them is 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 another I mean these this is an interesting team this old glory team um like they don't have very good set piece right so they don't have a very good scrum their lineup's not great but but when they have the ball. Right They actually do really really good things with it, so even though they have um you know they they have less of the ball than the opposition, they seem to do a really really good job of creating you know line breaks and their line breaks kind of like come from anywhere um it's it just it's it's i i think it's a really really nice team i I have questions about their depth which is. Sort of a question you have about all of the expansion teams, or maybe we can just say all teams except Toronto and San Diego. But, you know, if if they could shore up their set piece, they're going to be difficult. They're going to be difficult to beat. Let me ask you
1: this one, Pete. Have you seen a 65% game line percentage this season? That's that's (laughs) the highest highest I remember. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I mean, 65% of the time. It's crazy.
2: so this is this is what allows um old glory to be efficient, right? They're actually really, really good. Their forwards are very good at getting over the game line. That allows them to play quickly. It means the contest is really difficult for the defense. Um, but 65% is bad. I mean, I, I think that Austin need to, you know, they they had some disconnections in their defense and they certainly lost um, you know, some of their some of their launch. And, you know, all three of their back row forwards missed three tackles. So Akina, Abdulmonem, um, and Sonitoga all missed three tackles. And, you know, nine tackle losses in your back row is gonna is gonna create that game line number.
1: All right, mate, we'll jump across to the Pacific Northwest now. It was uh probably our first crazy weather game of the season. I'm trying to think if there's something else that's gone crazy. Nothing jumps out. Have we had snow yet? No, I'm not sure if we have so. I don't
2: think So, so
1: I did this game with uh, Mike Tolkien, Matt Truville up there for Fox Sports. It was Seattle, New England, and uh, the Seawolves. It took them about 30 minutes, Pete, but they find their bite and get their first win of the year up there. 44-29 is the final score. Uh, much closer game than that, though. Uh, Seattle just took their opportunities when they presented them a little bit better than New England did in the second half. Have you had a chance to catch this one yet, mate?
2: I, I have, and um, for about what, like 12 or 13 minutes, either side of the half, Seattle looked like the best team in the league. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean it, was, it was remarkable. They just, um, you know, you had the J.P. Smith try, and then you had the Nakai Penny try. I mean, when they got onto the front foot, they looked so, so good. And, you know, it, what a difference one player makes. Ben Seema, um, you know, an extra 10 or 15 meters on every kick. Um, I thought he played nice and flat. You know, I've, I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. Shalom Suniola needs to be their um, 12. Um, and I think the signing, of uh, they re-signed um, uh, Rasalika, um, who is their natural 13. That was the 12-13 pairing they had the first two years. I think that's going to allow Sh- Shalom to stay at 12. And I think with, um, you know, J.P. Smith, Ben Seema, and Shalom at your 9-10-12, that's a combination that can get you over the game line and can get you playing. Um, you know, the, the Free Jack team is good. They've got some injuries, and that's hurting them. But this is another team that is, um, you know, really playing some some good stuff. What was your takeaway from this game after you pulled it?
1: I very much similar to what you just said. How much of a difference one player can make. So I'm actually just frantically trying to go through their first three games on the match reports and see their territory. They had plus 50%, I think 55% territory. If you got the stat open? They controlled in yeah, this game? In this game, So it's, yeah. it's the first time this year they've been over 50. They went 46, 41 and 40 in their opening game. So all under 50% territory. Enter Ben Seymour, and it's, uh, it's quite a swing there, right? And it took him a little while to get the rhythm of the game. Uh, you saw a couple of his kicks weren't great. I think he missed the line with a couple of penalties as he kind of got adjusted to, to again and um, but, boy, not only did it make a difference in their kicking game, it allowed J.P. Smith just to play Scrum half and right. focus on his game. And he, he bounced back in the best way possible this week. Uh, probably, probably the best game definitely I've seen him this year. And looking back last year, maybe that Glendale game where he played 10 was a little better because of the circumstances. But, man, it was good to see him back and inform. And Nakai Penny, I know you've been singing his praises all year, Pete. Uh, I, I'm on the I'm on the Penny train right now with you. Uh, I'm not in the front seat. I'm a couple rows behind you, but I'm on board and full steam ahead. That kid is an absolute workhorse, and if I'm Kingsley Jones, I'm very excited about a Nakai Penny future.
2: In the, oh, uh, I think that's right. In the Maple I mean, I Leafs, Canada might have actually the two best sevens. Well, at least in form sevens on, in the league with with Penny and Rumble with with Toronto. I think I think one of the challenges that um, New England had was penalties. So, you know, the last thing you want to do when, when you've got a team that's just bringing their kicker back is is, is give them a lot, a lot of opportunity. And I think that's why they got that, that territory benefit. And they really struggled defensively. So they had, you know, um, seven of their 14 penalties were on defense and then four were in scrums. Um, and, you know, I, I know they've had some injuries in the front row and, and that's a bit of a struggle. And so I think that it's going to be, um, you know, an interesting an interesting challenge for them that to, can, you know, they need to find a way to enhance their set piece um, and to enhance their defense um, in the season while they're traveling. And, and that's, and that's always, that's always a, a, uh, um, a challenge, but they also, you know, we talked about um, game line, right. And so, you know, the free Jacks also got over the game line 65%. So we said we hadn't seen that before. We now we saw it in two games. And I think this is the challenge that um, that Seattle have is their seawall is not as strong as it has been. Um, and I think Nako Penny's great in the open field and he's a great runner and a great tackler. He's not as good at the breakdown. They're not slowing that ball down as much as they used to. And that means that uh, um, they can't build their wall. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting situation for them um, in terms of sort of, um, for, for the Seawolves to be able to kind of, um, I mean, they need to start working that tackle contest, slowing that ball down. Otherwise it's, it's going to be, um, a bit of a challenge, but, but I'm, I'm excited about, about the Free Jacks. I don't think they, they, you know, they feel like you know, they're just not consistent. Right. So they played pretty well at the start of the game, they were up and, and, and they were pretty dominant. And then, um, you know, uh, a couple of, a couple of missed tackles, uh, I think were, were, um, you know, were, were problematic for them.
1: Yeah, it was uh, Tommy Tum- Mavina. Oh, my God. Tommy Mavina. I'll get it right eventually. Who really turned things around a couple of long runs, fired Seattle up. And i got two things that I want to come out of this game. First, just want to give a shout-out to all the Seawolves fans. Quite a few come up to me and just said how much they love you and the podcast, Pete. They said they're a little bit creeped out by me and Brad Tucker. And uh, but overall, glaring reviews for you and Aaron. I'm a little bit creepy, but they love the podcast overall. You guys are, you know, making up for my deficiencies. And the other one for New England is Ben Landry. What a signing! You pick up a big guy who's going to help the set piece, help with some carries, and Hadi Kiyama cannot get back soon enough for New England. I think I, I walked away from that game very impressed. With both sides, Seattle bouncing back. But I think New England have a lot to be excited about. That's a good looking squad out there. And they will yeah. uh,
2: they'll bounce I mean, back look, as well. Josh Lawson's quality and is a real, real solid player. I mean, I think that, um, you know, probably you might want to play him at six. Um, so he's, because he's so active. Uh, but Locke is across major league rugby the thinnest position. So to be able to get someone like Ben Landry, who's been playing professionally overseas you know, Eagle, World Cup, all of that stuff, that's going to be a huge boost for them. And 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 you're right, you know, if they can get their tight head prop back, I think that'll make a big difference. But you know, it's so great to see these uh, um these expansion teams compete so well when we were so concerned. Right. And it's showing you that, you know, there's there's depth in both the players that want to come here, but also depth in the in in the US player pool. Right. That we haven't either. got to the point that, you know, we're putting players out there that can't compete
1: you are one smarter rooster. Speaking of roosters, we're going to go down to Houston and it was New York, the Rooney Roosters 31-23 over the Houston Sabercats. You and I were there. This was the CBS Sports Game of the Week. And for me, it was uh, who handled the wind better? Not running into it, uh, who handled it better using the wind? And it looks like New York did. They handled uh, the conditions and controlled the territory and End up getting the win there and a bonus point late as well. But I'll let you go on this one first because uh, you were you were right into this one.
2: Well, I mean, this was a really interesting game. First of all, hate wind. Um, it's awful. It changes the game. You know, any other condition is equal to both sides, but wind makes it makes it really really difficult. And um, you know, New York, I thought, used it territorially quite well, um, and in the first half. But I think. You know, it was it was funny because Paul Healy said at halftime he thought it was a 20-point win, and I think it was like 21-3. And 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 we weren't sure, right? We were like, maybe this is like maybe three tries with this strong wind isn't enough. But the Rooney's defense in that second half holding out Houston was was really remarkable. And the reason why they couldn't get more than 21 points is because of the penalties. Like they they had 15 penalties. Um you know, I think that they had, um, you know, that it was, um, you know, they had a series of penalties in the first half. Let me have a look. It was one, two, three, four, five, six penalties in a row in the first half that just kept allowing Houston to relieve Prussia with the wind in their face. And that was why it was only 21 points. And then in the second half, it was, you know, I think they were very, very lucky. There were lots of, um, you know, they, they defended very, very well, but there were lots of tackle, you know, r- not rolling away penalties. Um, you know, there were lots of defensive penalties that I thought the referee could have done something about, but it was none of it was actually inside the 22. And then finally, the, the choice of Houston to take um, the three points instead of kicking to the corner, uh, they did that um, several times. And I think that was, you know, that was where the game was lost. Like they, with the wind at their back, they had to get the tries, but they were just getting the three points.
1: Yeah, it, tactically, it was so interesting because that win just was another element altogether. So it made for a, a pretty fascinating. With New York, they just didn't even look at three points. It was all kicked to the well, corners, I, I think, go to our but, strength.
2: Yeah, I mean, I that. mean, part of that is because of how good the Rooney lineout is and how much confidence they have in it. So, you know, it, it, this is sort of one of these things where, where you could look and you can say, well, Rooney won 75% of their lineouts. So they, they won six and, and they lost two. Um, Houston had 17 lineouts, right? And they won 11, but 30% were scrappy. So that means that even if you win that ball, you can't do things like set up the mall that you want to drive. And they had a couple of opportunities down there where their line-out didn't function effectively the way it needed to. So I think part of that is probably a bit of a confidence issue that Rooney's like, we're going to kick it to touch because we really believe in our line-out and our line-out drive. And it just isn't clear that Houston believe in it the same way.
1: No, I agree with you there. uh, Dylan is on on absolute point with his throws as well. So that probably helps with the confidence when you've got the, the World Cup hooker. Ripping in line-outs, especially in those conditions, we end up seeing quite a few of them get taken by the wind as well. I don't oh, remember anything that were Dylan's, so he was very, yeah. very accurate.
2: And, and and then let's let's get a call-out for Nate Brakely. You know, he was the player of the match, and this guy is like, he's, and he was probably like this in high school because they ended up going to Dartmouth, and he's like a data analyst and super, super smart. But he's a curve-buster when it comes to, t- to statistics. Like, you just hope that the other Rooney forwards aren't measured on the curve. So 28 tackles, zero missed, right? And eight tackle assists. So he was involved in 36 tackles, which is nuts. 41 ruck entries, which is down from his normal, right? That's actually quite low for him.
1: I think they may have um... given him the tap on the shoulder after last week and said, (laughs) just calm down.
2: um and then you know uh i think it's like uh, what do i have here I can't. Remember Nine, 19. Money. so he's 19, still he still hit 19, 60. yeah he still hit 60. Uh, so 19 uh-huh. defensive rock entry i mean it's like it's it, it it really is and he was their main line out guy he had four line out takes i mean it's just like he, he's just you know it, like i said he, he he's playing at a work rate that's just unbelievable and you know, it, it was interesting because when we were thinking in, in the booth, Dan, and we were talking about who the MVP was, you know, I, you don't see this stuff, right? You don't really see it. You don't see who the second person is or the first person or whatever that is into the in, into the ruck. Um, but he made, you know, he was amazing in the line out. And he made two tackles in the open field where he chased back from a break. And if he wasn't there, it, 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 it was a try. And so it was like that kind of work rate that this guy brings to the table is just crazy.
1: Let me just tell everyone, I get, I get a lot of flack about my man crushers, you know, the Brad Tuckers of the world. But if I, I have never had another human being look at me the way that Pete Steinberg looked at Nate Brakely when he was getting interviewed <laughs> interview for player at the match. He was just gushing. It was like his cheeks were rosy. There was a smile ear to ear. He's like, oh my God, you know, he's, play rugby you can crunch data what can't this guy do and i'm like well it's like you got yourself a man crush pete
2: yeah, yeah a bit of one a bit of yeah, one
1: you, you picked a good one I let's did. jump
2: on to our team, oh, hold on because oh, 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 oh. oh, i want to give i want to give houston some some props here right i mean okay. so um, so you know we, that's okay we uh you know we we talked to the cup a couple of the houston guys and they were like Hey, this uh, Thomas Morani outside centre, he's he's a real game breaker, and they lost him in the first half. And I think this game might have been a little different if he had been um, if, if if he'd been healthy, because what they really lacked was they lacked someone with the footwork to be able to create something themselves. Um, Taylor Halden actually did it in that in you know with, with the try that he scored, um, rolling back the years, but you know. Um Morani looks like he's going to be one of those sorts of players. And so it's, it, this was one of these ones that Houston has to feel like they should have won. Like they did a good job in the first half. It was 21-3. They had more than enough opportunities to, to win this game. And they've got challenges in how they get over the line. Um, and the biggest source of possession for, um, to score in Major League Rugby is the line-out. And so they need to sort their line-out out to be able to turn what is a good performance into a win. Now we can move on.
1: Now we can move on. Team of the week. Toronto Arrows. Is this, uh, is this their first team of the week for the year? I don't feel like it's, that's possible. But anyway, 28-18. They get a bonus point win on the road down in Atlanta. They're 4-0. and They're absolutely flying. This is our team of the week. So this is our deep dive. I don't know how much deeper you can go, Pete. you you get pretty deep in there. And um, what did you think of this one?
2: Um, So this was a really interesting game. You know, I was excited to watch it. Um, you know, I've got a bit of a man crush on the Atlanta defense, and you know, I felt I, I felt this was like not, you know, well, well, Toronto had done a little bit of rotation, right? So they they had placed um, you know uh, Rumble and and Quatrín on the bench. Um, And then they had coming back, they had Rob Brower and Gaston Mieres. And, um, you know, so their bench was, was really, really strong. It wasn't a great game. You know, there was lots of knock-ons. But what Toronto were able to do against the Atlanta defense that we haven't seen teams do on a consistent basis. And, and, I think that if, if Toronto looked at the first half, there was way too many knock-ons for them to be happy. But as the game went on, what they're able to do is they have forwards that have the footwork to be able to get beyond the defensive line. So um, I think that they had... So I think one of their players, that one of their really great additions this year is De La Vega, their, um, their flanker. Oh, yeah. And um, he had 12 ball carries uh, and um, he had 18 rucker rivals where he was the first in all three. But I want to go back to the ball carries because him and um, Diana, the number eight, are so good. It's like they you can't get a strong shoulder on them. And that's what, um, and that's what uh, Atlanta try to do. So they use their footwork to put the defender off balance and then be able to generate that go forward. And then that created the opportunities in the backs. And I think this is something else that Toronto had, is that they basically have playmakers throughout their back line. So you look at, um, you know, they have Adams, they have Dutoy, they have Lesage, and they have Malcolm. And those guys can all run and pass. And so that's the other thing that you have to do against this Atlanta defense. And there was this great play, and I think it was Levis, their, their um, number 11, their left wing, where the ball came out, um, and, I, and I have to say, I'm not sure who it was. It, it, um, I think it may have been the toy had the ball and he had um, uh, Lesage outside running a line, right? And he had um, the, the chance to pass behind him, but he had Levis coming inside. And the thing that you have to do against that Atlanta defense is you have to have multiple runners because that way the defenders can't know whether they need to turn in or out. And so if you can play flat against the line and you can have multiple options, what you actually end up doing is freezing the defenders because they can't make the choice that they have to make. And they did that so well in that one play. And they did it a couple of times in the second half. And so their ability to be able to generate, go forward is, is really critical. And, um, and in the forwards, and then they've got the backs that are able to break down that defense. And, that's what I think makes them so, so dangerous. And, and, you know, it's not that they've got any stars, but they've got multiple people that can do multiple things. Like their forwards can pass. Um, you know, they often, you can often see their forward being a distributor or a playmaker up, or, up on the line. Like all of their players can do that. And there was, there, there was one stat that really stood out on me. I mean, I'm you know, so I'm getting a little nerdy here, right? So, but there's one stat that, that really um, stood out for me. Which was um, the challenge, which is kicking out, you know. So kicking um, to exit your 22. Toronto were at 60%, and this is you know, Atlanta were at 33%. So a third of the time that Atlanta kicked from their 22, they didn't end up leaving their 22. So that could happen because the kick wasn't very good and it didn't go very far, or it could be the kick happened. And and that Toronto were able to counter back into the 22, but that made it very very difficult for Atlanta to be able to 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 like play in the right parts of the field. So they always found themselves in their own half, and they always found themselves um, you know struggling to be able to put the pressure on Toronto. But this I don't I don't think this was a great Toronto you know um, uh, performance. Uh, that, you know impact off the bench. I mean I think. Rumble came on and like almost immediately got a turnover at the tackle. Um, But, you know, and and Mieras, you know, came on and played 20 minutes. And I think he had a line break. Um, He had two line breaks in the 20 minutes that he had. I mean, that guy is just like beautiful to watch. So their bench is the thing that really made it difficult for Atlanta to come back.
1: You like a deep dive on the stats. I'm going to deep dive onto the emotional side of things. And you actually were about to touch on it then, where you said, not a great Toronto performance. I'm going to tell you why it was a great Toronto performance. And statistically speaking, not at their best. But here's what I saw going into this game. It's the fourth week of a road trip that they've been on that has taken them all over the country. They've gone to Vegas. Uh, They went to Seattle. Where were they week one? We did that game too, I think.
2: Um, where were they? We, we weren't. Finally, we want Aaron to step in and help us, and he's quiet. Yeah, he's on mute.
1: But anyway, not only that, but last week they play against a team that knocked them out of the semi final. So, a huge emotional charge up to play Seattle in Seattle, then get the win. Then you're on a short turnaround travel to a very dangerous side in Atlanta, who you know have rested players to beat you at home on this game. They've circled this game as a big win, so now the emotional roller coaster goes down during the week because you've just beat Seattle. You're exhausted from travel. You're going against a very dangerous side down there who you know are coming for you. You go down and you still get the win, and to me, that's championship qualities right there.
2: Yeah, I, so, I, mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, you're right, and actually, they think they're planning on staying in Atlanta for the rest of the week before they come up to Colorado. Um, and I think that's their, you know, it's 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 their opportunity to kind of bond and and you know get a full uh, a full week's training which which they haven't had. Uh, but no, I, I I agree with that. I mean, I think like the rotation was smart. Um, they've they've got depth. I think you know it's 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 interesting. I I still feel like maybe they they miss a little bit. Sort of like you know they've got guys that finish, but I'm not sure that they've got guys that can create. Um, you know, their scrum is certainly. Pete, you know, hey, they're in Austin. You and I did that gang. 38 oh to
0: 10. They beat bags.
2: <laughs>
1: we were we were there.
2: We were there. The, the
0: launch like, of the it
2: It's like what what are we gonna be like in June? I
1: have no Like idea. I like I
2: hope I can remember your name, Dan. I, know. <laughs> I feel like it might, you know. Um, but but you know, to, they've got a very good scrum. Their line out isn't quite as good. Um, it was it was a bit it, it was a bit uh, um a bit off of. Uh, um uh, like the timing was off they had some scrappy but remember they don't have mike Shepard, so he's been he's been really key to them so the fact that they're still winning without sort of one of their key line out guys i mean it's it's gonna be it's it's interesting it's hard to find a um you know an issue with with toronto and you know i think it, it's early but everyone's sort of beginning to whisper about the toronto san diego final
1: i know i I know. If you don't want to get ahead of yourself, injury, stuff like that, who knows what's going to happen. But yeah, as if you had to call it right now, that would be the safest bet you could make. Alright, we'll jump back in the schedule and I'll explain why in a little bit. Colorado, Utah at Infinity Park, twenty-two fourteen. Colorado get their first win of the year and it was the emergence of a player who I will talk about in just a little bit because he ended up being named player of the week and you're going to interview him, Pete, but the Raptors, the Colorado Raptors, they get a win. Is this something that you're getting excited about for a turnaround, perhaps? How did you feel about the game, Pete?
2: Well, I thought, I mean, this was a much improved Colorado performance. And in particular, it was a big improvement in their defense. I thought that they defended, um, you know, very, very well. They had 88% um, tackle percentage. Uh, you know, they. I thought that um, they really made it difficult. Uh, you know, the guy that you keep mysteriously talking about is Rennie Ranger. And I think one of the things that doesn't show up in his stats, despite that he had a great game, was the number of times that he prevented Utah from going wide by launching outside and launching up. And you could see Schulte, the Utah um, fly half, keep getting the ball, looking outside and seeing Rennie Ranger in his p- passing lanes. Um, he also came up and, and, and gave a couple of big hits and got his, got his timing right. Um, I thought what was really interesting about this game for me was um, the two attacking philosophies. So Colorado definitely wanted to keep the ball in their hands a little bit more. They had um, Adam Alifa at 10, um, definitely a running, um, you know, much more of a, of a running fly half. And they, they changed their system. So they went from a 2 2 to a one three three one and and that's actually a description of the of the of the forwards as they stretch across the field so in two four two you have two forwards out wide you have a group of forwards in the middle and you have two forwards out wide um and uh it's like to me that's a system that you say we we, we're struggling a little bit to hold on to the ball so we're going to put in extra players so you're really looking at three player rucks the advantage you have on it is that you can do more with those four forwards in the middle, so you can create some interesting structures. But it's, but the modern game is much more about um, one, three, three, one, or some version of that. And that allows you to play a little bit quicker. And I think that's what Colorado did. Um, I think it was partly Adam Malifa. I think it was partly um, like the one, three, three, one, um, because it allows you to actually get those two pods of forwards very quickly to play. Um, that made it very difficult for Utah to be able to reset their defense. I thought it was you know it it was it was a, a great decision by pete Borlase. it 's hard to they they 'd practiced two four two um all season and then went to a one three three one of course it 's what they played last year, so it may be for a lot hey, of players
0: that that two. gets a a little interesting because in season one so if we go back to season one, they were one three three one last year they had morphed to the one three two two. So in reality, they just junked a whole system to install a 242 and then are junking another system. So I get, you guys mentioned the installation of the 1331 during the broadcast. So now in context, I mean, it's kind of impressive. Well, I think um, I, I think that
2: um, it's a... Uh, so I don't think like, like to me, I think the easiest thing that you can do in rugby is put in structure. Like, like if, if, you know, the hardest thing to do is to do the stuff without structure. I think the challenge is that most coaches put in structure early because it's what they're comfortable with and they can see really easy. You can see results really easily. So when you go to a one, three, three, one, it's not, it's often not a problem if people aren't exactly in the right position because your forwards are still in the middle of the field, so they can still source the breakdown. I think what it allowed them to do that's different than the rest of this season is the ability for them just to be able to play quickly, and then that opened up some space that they had out wide. It was also really interesting that they found a lot of space right over the top or next to the ruck, which was a a Utah floor. What was interesting about Utah's play was that, and I think you're going to see more of this, Against Colorado is that what they said is you know the Colorado wings aren't very good at um you know they're, they're very good runners um that you know they they can be good defenders, but they're not actually very good in the aerial game in the kicking game and so and they also tend to play up so both Cruze and Ryberg's positioning isn't great, and you could see Schuly trying to take advantage of that. There were two issues one is his kicking game was bad, I think he had three kicks that went directly to touch when he was looking to get the space and Emerson, the fullback for Colorado, had a great game. I mean, he had a great game with ball in hand, but he covered so much space on those kicks that even when um, Utah were trying to, you know, were, 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 even when they connected on those kicks, Emerson was able to get there. He's a good runner. He has a good foot. And I thought he had a really interesting game. I actually think Utah played much better once Povey came to 10. Um, he got injured and came off because he played a little bit flatter. They had to because they were behind. They kept the ball in hand. And I think they should have done that a little bit earlier in the game.
0: Well,
1: out of all that, we did get our player of the week. It is the former All Black Rennie Ranger. And Pete, you got a chance to talk with the Colorado
2: Raptors Center. Rennie, thank you so much for joining us on Major League Rugby Kickoff.
3: Uh, cheers. Um, glad to be on here. Thank you.
2: Let's talk a little bit about um, your your background. You've you've, you've played a, around the world. Um, you know, you played for the All Blacks. Um, you played New Zealand. You you played in France. Um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what that experience is? Because I know you went back to New Zealand, and and you know, what's the difference between maybe playing in New Zealand and, and playing in Europe?
3: Um, yeah, I guess you know, I have been playing for a while. You know, from I guess from province to, to um, you know, reaching the goal as, as an All Black and, um, yeah, overseas. And um, I, guess, I guess, in my experience, the difference between um, playing in New Zealand and playing in France, I think the, I think the skill level of, of New Zealand rugby is, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's second to none. Like, the skill levels it's, it's it's right up there with the international. And then, you know, New Zealand like to play a fast pace of rugby. And um, you know, I guess, you know, being being in New Zealand, like you know, a lot of a lot of the Kiwis like to play a, a running top of footy, I guess. And um, you know, we got all different teams across New Zealand. We, you know, you've got like the Crusaders, where they they play such a great structured rugby, but in saying that, they, they play such a a flair flair game as well. And then as in France. You know, it's quite it's quite forward orientated. So, you know that they, they like even their big boys. They they rely on set piece to to create penalties, and they like to play a bit of a, a territory game. And, but in saying that, they you know the French they they love playing rugby too. You know they're they're, they're unpredictable. You know they 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 can pull things out of the bag. So you know that it, that's what makes it so interesting playing over in their competition as well. But but, you know, it's such a long season over there and, um, you know, can, can can be pretty brutal on the body. But, yeah, in saying that, you know, they're both great competitions, but, you know, I think you're not going to get better than a um, super, uh, super competition.
2: So, you know, you, you played in France, you you went back to New Zealand. And then, so what brought you to uh, to the US and Major League Rugby? I guess um, the coach, uh, Pete, um,
3: I think I met him Oh, a fair few years ago, back oh, you know, I was you know I was playing blues and and for Northland, and he was playing for the I think he was playing for Crusaders or maybe the Highlanders at the time, and um, he knew one of my good mates, uh, Bronson, and um, my mate Bronson brought him up north. You know, we went up north camping and you know, a bit of fishing and diving and stuff like that, and you yeah, really got to know Pete Pete through um through another mate actually, and um. Yeah, we become pretty much good mates, and then um, yeah, you know, we kept in touch, you know, off and on, and then yeah, next minute I get a phone call asking me if I wanted to um come over in the, um, the US and give it a crack, and at the time, you know, I just just got injured from playing Super with playing over in Japan with the Samuels. I got injured, so you know, I was kind of weary at the time, and um, you know, the you know, Pete gave, gave me the opportunity to um, have a crack over here in the States and, you know, he kind of sold it to me. It was a, it was a nice place, you know, um, good bunch of boys, you know. Um, you know, they're up on the, um, on the rise, you know, with their footy over here. So, you know, I thought I'd give it a crack, you know, great opportunity.
2: And, and, and you come over and, and you come into Colorado in the middle of winter. What was your first impression? Is this the coldest place you've ever lived?
3: Uh yeah, well, when he sold it to me, he said it was you know it's sunny, it's the weather's pretty unreal over here. And then I think yeah, I, I landed and it was just, it was just snowing, cold and windy. And I, I was just like, well, what the hell am I doing here? So I was in a bit of a, yeah, bit of a bit of a storm. Well, Pete reckons because apparently the few days before that it was all sunny. So. <laughs> of course, of course. I, I arrived and got hit with the snow and everything. So, you know, snow's slowly stopping a bit. You know, the sun's finally coming
2: out a bit. So, uh, enjoying it. Now, now you you came in. You, you talked about being injured. Has it been? Was it? Was it a little bit of a slow integration for you? Just kind of like getting back into playing shape after your injury.
3: Yes, yeah, so I got yeah, I got injured pretty early early in the, um, the season last year in Super Rugby, in the oh. It's probably the first game of um, Super, actually, and then I had my operation in March, and so I've yeah, you know, I'd been doing my recovery and rehab pretty much all year, and coming to the um, province, the province, the the minor ten cup season back in New Zealand. I was hoping to try and get a few games in for that, but with um, trying to come back early, you know, you start getting delays with your injuries and stuff like this, you get too keen and then, so I had a bit of a break again and then, once I kind of found out Pete was keen and then, I started, you know, getting back into the rehab and back into training again so, pretty, bit of a slow into, into you know, to, to get in there, like I'm still trying to find my feet, still trying to get used to this, um, the climate here, the um, you know, being above sea level and stuff so, it's, yeah, it's, um,
2: I, I, I live down the road, so you're like always dry, always thirsty. Your lungs are always busting, right? It's it it is it it feels like a little bit of a different world. Oh, it is. Um,
3: I wake up every morning with the dry throat, so I've got to drink water. You've got to pretty much drink, you know, fluids during the whole day. So just just keep your nose and your and your mouth, you know, moist. I guess, but um, you know, like slowly getting used to it. You know, slowly um, finding my feet back in the game. You know, it's almost you know, that 11 months being out of the game so still still trying to tick all the boxes and, and find my feet
2: Well it, it seemed like you found your feet last weekend um, in the, the game against um, Utah got, got a couple of tries um, both of them sort of twisting and turning and, and, and getting over the line um, what you know I, I mean you're, you're new to the Colorado team but this is a team that, that wins at home um, and it's a team that's been one of the best um, teams in Major League Rugby for the first couple of years um, what do you think was different about the performance that you had against Utah which you know was actually pretty dominant relative to the games you had earlier on in the season
3: yeah I guess just um, I think at the start of the season we, we might have put too much pressure, pressure on ourselves as a team you know maybe but you know, I think the the preparation to the week against Utah. You know, we we really had to look at ourselves, and um, you know, we, we knew Utah we, we, were a big bunch of boys, and so we we really had to do our homework. And um, you know, big kudos to the to our forwards. You know, they really stepped up and um set, set a good platform for 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 us backs. And um, you know, we we ended up reaping the the rewards. So. Yeah, I think it comes down to good preparation and a good training week.
2: Now, one of the things that was interesting for me when I, you know, I was commentating on that game, was that you seemed to be leaving the defensive line a little bit early and trying to shut down that Utah's outside attack. Now, was that something that you would like to talk to the coaches, or was that something that you just felt and saw um, on the game? I
3: guess it's a bit of both. You know, we, you know, we we we, we have a look. As a backs units, we look at um, you know, their previous games and what kind of attack they kind of bring and, and what kind of moves and shapes they're trying to do. So you know, we bring those to training, and we practice them. You know, and some of them come off, and some of them don't. But I think as a general like phase play or general play, like you know, sometimes while well, being a centre, you like to creep up to try and shut down that option on the outside or. You know, if you can read it, you can read it. But then, the end of the day, you've got to have trust in your team that, that they, they know what you, you, you're going to do. So, yeah, it's a bit of a 50-50 type thing.
2: Now, next week, you've got a, um, a game against one of the form sides of the competition so far in Toronto. Have you had a chance to look at them? And, and do you have any thoughts about what you've seen on the Toronto team? Yeah, yeah no, we've,
3: we've done our preview preview and our uh, uh, review uh, against the Toronto side and you know we, we know they are there are well well structured side you know they have some great some great names in their team and you know they've been together for a while I guess and um, I guess for us you know it's, a, it's another opportunity to to play against uh, another great side you know and test ourselves and Playing, playing within within our structures, you know, and <clears throat> just just putting pressure on, on on their moves and and on their strikes, and just again our forwards our forwards have got to step up again um, this Friday night. So you know we, we um, have prepared well this week, and I know we played Saturday, and I think they played Sunday, so so they've had a bit of a short week. So you know it could be another opportunity for us to to take that for uh for an advantage so but then again, we can't take them too lightly you know we, we, we've got to still show them that respect
2: yeah now, now you've someone that, that's played um around the world and, and you've had um, and you've played with with great players. Um, give us some of your thoughts about the squad that you have in Colorado. who are some of the like the younger players that you've been really impressed with um as you know uh, players with high potential in the Colorado team?
3: I guess um our our young winger Mika, I think he's a he's playing on the wing, but I believe that I believe he, he's a player who could probably play anywhere in the backs. He's um pretty talented, and you know when he's got his um you know head in the game, you know, he's a pretty lethal player. And then we got um Chad Goth, our hooker. You know he's a he's a bit of a workhorse, and you know he he really strives to. To be great on the team you know like all across the park all of our young fellas we've got another young fella rj and um i don't think he's had an opportunity to play yet but you know he's another one that's going to be a great player for for, for this rapid size side in, in the near future
2: now you know what what's been your your impression of, of major league rugby as a competition you know you've you've traveled a bit you've you've played at home a little bit you have played a number of different sides you know it, obviously this is a developing competition but what's been your impression what what do you think some of the strengths of the competition are and where do you think um the competition needs to improve
3: yeah it's a pretty unpredictable uh, competition uh, i think at the moment like, like like you said it's still growing like like in um like you said we're having like players come in and and each different team you know with the with the caliber of like you know Ma'anonu um Bustero, you know, like, they're, they're bringing, you know, their, their skill set and, you know, their, their experience in team side. So, like, skill-wise is um, slowly getting up there. Like, I, I reckon it's probably still a bit under. But, you know, like, in saying that, like, some teams have been playing real well. So, it's like you said, it's a competition on, on the go. And I reckon it's going to succeed.
2: Yeah um do you have anyone in New Zealand following it is, is there like any talk in New Zealand about major league rugby i mean like, they can watch it on on facebook i think um, yeah well, i've got if, a lot overseas i've got a lot
3: of um friends and family um yeah, here who have been watching on the major league um page or facebook page and um uh it's it's quite a big talk back at home at the moment actually like um i think a, a lot of players are real keen to to get over and try their trade here here in the States. So, you know, it's, it's just a pretty big talking point in New Zealand at the moment. So, you know, they'd be surprised if some more Kiwis start coming over, you know. <laughs> are, are,
2: there, are there guys reaching out to you saying, hey, what's it like? Can you put me in touch with people? Are people, re- are, are they that active right now? Yeah, I've, I've got
3: a few. fellas like, asking me, asking me to try and, um, to get over, you know, to see if there's any sort of connections. But, you know, like I think, I think there's rumours of two teams joining again next year, you know. So, I've got players asking me about other other teams. But, you know, like, I guess the word's getting around back in New Zealand. I guess Australia, even in South Africa, you know, it's one of those competitions that's going to grow. Well, we, you
2: know, I... We we appreciate your time. We appreciate you joining us. Um, it's great to have a player of your caliber in the competition. Um, you know, I I think that we'll see more from you as you kind of get your sea legs, as we as we go through. And we look forward to seeing you match up against um, some some good centers from Toronto this weekend. Yeah, cheers for that. Can
3: um, yeah, like you said, I can't wait to for the sea legs to, to start um, coming right. And you know, I'm, I'm sure there's um. Going to be some great games that the, the Raptors are going to bring um, later in this season.
1: There you have it Rennie Ranger, Pete Steinberg, and globally, probably one of the bigger names or more recognizable names that we've brought to MLR. And finding his rhythm here could be critical to the Raptors moving up in a Western conference. that's still pretty wide
2: open. Well I think one of the things that you know when you look at Rennie Ranger and you look at Mononu, I mean they have this ability to run straight, and then off their left hand, throw a double skip pass out to the wing who hits it on the run. I mean, it's like it's it's a skill that just like very very few people have, and that's the sort of class that Rennie Ranger is bringing. I mean, I think that if they can keep him healthy, and um, you know he can play the way he did against Colorado. I mean, you could see what a leader he is, and you know I think that um, his partnership with Petzer at twelve. Is, is a really, really good one. I think that there's some question about their 10 in Colorado, but I don't think there's a question about their 13 if he's healthy, and that's Randy Ranger.
1: All right, Pete, let's jump into the games for this week. Another six games on tap for Major League Rugby, and it kicks off Friday, Toronto at Colorado. So it doesn't get uh, any easier for the Raptors that look to string two together as the undefeated Arrows come to town. This one is at Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. What are your thoughts on this one, mate?
2: I mean, it's, it, it's I, I think Colorado are on the upswing. I think they had a good game. I mean, they they have only ever lost twice at Infinity Park. Um, um, and one game was two weeks ago against Nola. But I don't think you can... I think Toronto are coming in like a strong team. I don't think Colorado are able to compete with them yet. Um, they certainly improved their defence and they're going to need to do that. They're going to have to use their footwork into the tackle um, to be able to slow down those, those Toronto forwards. But yeah, I think, I think it has to be Toronto. Um, And I, you know, I think that it's going to be something like, you know, 32, 25.
1: Yeah. This one kind of gives me a little bit of a headache because I think at some point Toronto, the travel and the, you know, the pressure is going to just, they're going to crack. I don't know if it's going to be this week. I don't know if Colorado has the horses to get it done, but at some point that's going to happen. And you never know at Infinity Park. That is a tough road trip down there, but I'll go with you on that one. Toronto, play the hot hand right now. So uh, we'll go 39 And then moving on to game two, Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, it's New England at uh, NOLA on uh, ESPN Plus, uh, N-E-S-N, so New England Sports Network. Up there in the northeast, I'll go first on this one. This one, this is tough. Both sides coming off a loss. Uh, a bit of a log jam on the Eastern Conference. So where the West is still pretty much open, waiting for someone to jump into second and third, the East is pretty tight. So a loss, especially at home, could be something at the back end of the year that ends up costing you a spot in the final. So I'd love to see a roster. Ben Landry, see how he is. He's in shape. He hasn't been sitting around doing nothing. He's been playing in the UK. If uh, Harakiyama is back, they're a red hot shot to go down the road there and beat New Orleans. But I will go with the home side. I'll go with Nola to squeak one out, 28-27 at home.
2: You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Nola. I think that it's um, you know you know I'm 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 with you. There might be some reinforcements in New England. I think Nola's also sort of getting healthy and getting getting their best players back. But again, I think with New England, same issue with Toronto. Um, you know, it's another trip. Uh, I think it's New Orleans, but I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a bit of a scrappy game. I think it's going to be 24, 22. Okay. Yeah. It
1: all depends on the weather right down there. You can run into some rain and you get a game like we call down there.
2: All right, mate. game three,
1: Austin at Houston on ESPN plus 8 PM Saturday night.
2: Well, I mean, this is an interesting game. So part of it's like, well, who's going to play for Austin? Like who's going to come in this week? So it's like, you're sort of like, I don't know. I find it. I find this this uh, game difficult to call. I, you know, we we talked about this before. I'm Kurt, I'm not a huge fan. Huge fan of Kurt how. Mourif. What are you saying? Kurt Moraff. Okay, so actually having a fly half would help us. Um I thought. I think Elan Predic has done a, a pretty
0: good job. Um, I think. I, I think is going to be out this week because uh, he had a pretty nasty impact with his shoulder and a piece of ground. So
2: with Kirk, Kirk moreth Morath coming in and um, thanks Aaron with, um, you know, put it out and with Austin, not, not sure. I like the way they attack. Um, you know, they, they had opportunities. They don't look like a team that's fully functioning. i sorry, Houston. I mean, is this the chance? I mean, this is a, this is a Texas battle, right? So this is there's, there's, I think there's a cup that they're playing for. Is this just so. the one that Austin wins? Like, like, I, well, wait, hold it! You have to go for the Gilgronies, right? Because you're a Gilgronian.
1: I hundred percent! Oh, like, it's not even in question. I've, I'm riding them the entire season. It's ride or die. <laughs> we made a pact, me and me and Adam Gilchrist. We're, you know, bad boys for life. But I'm in this with them.
2: Um, I, I think Houston are going to win this game. Um, I think it's going to be really close. I think Austin are going to have a chance. I just. I think Austin have, um, you know, they're still working to come together. I, I, please, Sam Windsor, just play a little flatter. Let's get guys running off him. They've, they've got the players to do it. Um, you know, if they can get they, they, they can get some of their um, South Americans back, I think it'll be a big boost for Houston. I think it's going to be close. I think Houston's going to pull this off. I think it's 17-14. Um,
1: yeah, you have to say Houston are going to be favourites at home, and uh, especially after that performance against New York, I think they'll be smarting. Their pack is is really good, and still some question marks over Austin's pack. But I'm going for Austin, man. Um, I can't, yeah, I no, can't, I get it. I can't let them down. I'm, I'm with them. All right, game four, Utah at Seattle. Uh, it's on ESPN Plus, KMYU in Utah, and Root Sports in the Pacific Northwest. This one is at 9pm on Saturday night. Uh, I'm first on this one. I will go all Seawolves on this one. Just didn't come away from that Colorado game. Overly impressed with Utah as they still struggle to find their identity. And Seattle, like you said, for that 20-25 minutes around the halftime break, that's the best I think I've seen them play. Well, a long, long time, and they're getting some more troops back this week as well. So they'll be better. Another home game for them. They played very well there. So Seattle by yeah, I mean, 42-15.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Seattle here are you know heavy favorites. I think they, you know, they had nine starters or potential starters out. I think we saw the impact of, Ben Benzema, um, but also getting um, uh, you know Stefan Ketsi back at Hooker. Um, He's such an impact. I, I, I think that you know, this. To be fair, Utah, you know, have have a history of going in Seattle and playing better than you think, right? Didn't they do that yeah. last year?
1: Yeah, they had so, a tour there last year.
2: Yeah, um, but I, I, can't see it this year. I think it's gonna be a little closer than you said because I think Utah do bring some 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 quality players, um, and I think they've got a great coaching staff, and and I think that it'll it'll there'll be an interesting battle in the set piece that's there, but I think it's going to be, um, Seattle 28, um, Utah 17.
1: All righty. Sunday night, mate. It's CBS sports game of the week, 6 PM Atlanta at old glory. Uh, normally you'd be out there with me, but you are, like I said, you're on baby watch. So you are grounded. Who do you think you can call this one? I'm not going to call this one. Cause I am calling this one, but who, what do you think?
2: You know this is this is such an interesting game. I'm really excited to watch this. Um, I hope that uh, I'm not in the hospital at that point. You know, th- th- it, would it be bad if if I had my iPad? You know, while my wife's pushing. What, ah, it's, your sec- it's
1: your second. It's your second one. Pete. It doesn't even count. Don't worry. As long as <laughs> so, you're the um, first.
2: so so this is this is one of the most intriguing games for me because if you'd said two two weeks ago, I'd be like, this is definitely Atlanta. Atlanta's like the pick of the East, but DC. I mean, you know, it, it, to, it, if they can fix their set piece, they can play with anyone, um, and that's going to be the the real key. They're at home, you know they 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 sell out, you know, you know the Cardinal Stadium. This is gonna be tough. So I, I'm, it's it's hard for me to pick against Atlanta, but I think I'm gonna have to here. I think, but I think so. I think home field advantage is going to be key. Um, I think that uh, DC win this. But I think it's going to be really close. So I'm going to say it's going to be 28-27. Um, I mean, it's a toss of the coin.
1: Yeah, DC never beaten at home. They're one from one. All right. <laughs> Game six, Sunday, seven Eastern. It's New York. at San Diego. We had uh, one semifinal last week. Not the week just gone. The one before, Seattle, uh, Toronto. Now we have New York, San Diego, the other semifinal from last year. Uh, oh, I've got to go first on this one, don't I? Um, Oh, this is tough because JP's out. Well, JP's out and Nate's out, you're starting to thin the troops a little bit, and you're not too worried about your starting 15 because they are pretty deep. I'm just starting to worry about 21, 22, 23 at that point. I mean, I mean, I mean, if Rooney, there's another injury.
2: I mean, I mean, Rooney are thin all over the place because they didn't get some of the players they thought they were going to get. I mean, I don't think that's the.
1: Well, picking up I mean, Hunko I mean, you're saying and, and is San Stewart Diego are going to
2: be amazing, they just might be nah. very good.
1: They're gonna. Then they're so tough to beat at home. That is. That is a long road trip. New York to San Diego. So they went Houston home. Now you, yeah, I'll go to San Diego, and you're going to go for New York, aren't
2: you? No, I'm going to go with San Diego. And, so you're going yeah, San Diego. I, I really like what Greg McWilliams is doing with um with with Rooney. I mean, it's really hard to sort of have a plan, and then um you know find out that you're not going to get some of the players that you built the plan around. Um. So I think he's doing a really good job of maximizing the potential. But I think that um, there's just too many horses for San Diego. I, I guess what, I'm, what, I, what I'd be interesting, interested to see here is, um, you know, is Rooney able to, you know, because their defense against Houston was excellent. And, you know, they've got some of the athletes in the backs that I think can compete. So the question that I would have is that can the Rooney defense put some pressure on the San Diego um, attack that we, you know, that they haven't really been under yet. And if they can do that and they can force some errors, I think Rooney have some of the players that can do some damage. And so, um, you know, I I don't think this is, you know, it's, I think this is an easy pick, but I don't think it's an easy win for San Diego. So I think this is going to be San Diego, 25,
1: Rooney, 18. All right. I'll go 25, 22, about the same. That wraps it up. Hey, Pete, we've got some reviews through the week. want I me to read you them? Yeah. We've got, uh, we got some new reviews. So, these came off the uh, Apple Podcast app, as you can tell. I'm very well-versed in this stuff. So, fantastic podcast from Seawolves. So, we already gave our Seawolves fan a shout-out, so... Thanks again to all our fans up in Seattle. We love the Pacific Northwest. Pete Dan Naron provide a great point of view on MLR with access to teams and players along with great analysis week to week. Keep up the great work. I think the uh, great analysis is for you, Pete. The next one. Every one was, now and
2: then, every now and then, every now and then, you you, you have some good analysis. I
1: know. I, just, I have a lot of stuff written down and then I'm, you just read it or you beat me to it. You're just a super coach. I can't keep up. Next one is Love It from Jay Kettle. Great podcast. I especially like hearing the coaching aspects about the different offensive and defensive schemes. We know who that is, don't we, Pete? Uh, that each team's use and how they'll match up each week. Go Gilgronies! Rugby nerd over and out. A fellow Gilgroniac, Jay Kettle. You're the man. Thank you. Or oh, woman. There you go. It could be either or. Uh, next, Love the Podcast by Samuel Up. Thank you for giving me an update on everything in Can't wait for some teams to pop up in the heart of America. Kansas City in all capitals. Go Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid. We love our Chiefs. St. Louis, Chicago, Minneapolis. Yep, I agree. The Midwest or the, or the flyover cities. They need a team. I agree. Oh, phenomenal podcast. This one is titled Pete Five Stars. Blah, B. Card, 1 2. I hope I said that right. Great podcast. Dan and Pete do an excellent job in delivering both entertainment and game-by-game analysis. I'll take credit for the entertainment. You can have the analysis again. Perfect combination of fun and rugby know-how. Gents, could you comment on the number of penalties being called in some games? Well, Pete, we got a question. Uh, and what it is doing for the league on a consumer level. Seems like quite a large number are being called. Players often broken and new fans aren't getting the on-top action of rugby. Anything the legal refs could or should do. I'd love to hear your opinions. Thanks, Pete. Hey, you are a ref. You want to jump on that one?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. There are definitely some games where the penalties are high. Um, you know, we saw it this past weekend where um, you know Rooney were being penalised. So, so when we when we look at a number of penalties, there's there's two things that I think um, you know should happen to reduce the penalties. So number one is that you need referees to talk. And I, and I think if there's something that you know, the, the referees that Rich, Richard Avery um, you know, is probably working on consistently is getting, team, getting referees to talk players out of penalties. So what the, what the referee will do is he'll tell a player, hey, you're doing something wrong. And if they correct it, he won't penalize them as long as it hasn't affected play. I think it's an area that, that, that we still need to work on um, in Major League Rugby I think referees having that sort of like communication with the players is still part of it and remember you know referee development is part of this it's part of Major League Rugby we need to grow that referee pool but then we also need savvy players I mean not rolling away I think you know we were up in the booth for the for the Rooney Houston game and you know, there was a moment when there were, I think there were three not rolling away penalties in about five minutes and Greg McWilliams was in the booth next to us and we can see him like grabbing, pulling his hair out because once the referee, every referee has a tendency in a game to do something. And, um, you know, these, the, uh, the teams analyze referees, they know what they call. They look for areas that they can push the referees areas they'll know the areas they can't push the referees. Um, on Mondays, all the teams get together and give feedback about the referees, what they thought they did well and what they didn't do well. And, you know, as a, as a player and a coach, I never took a huge amount of um, uh, notice into what the referees had done before because often they get told to focus on different things. But once you're in the game and once you know that a referee is, like, focusing on having the tackler roll away, you've got to adjust to that. And so I think that there's, there's, there's a little bit of 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 both that needs to happen a little bit more of communication from the referee and then a little bit, you know, both listening and some more savviness by, by the players who have to adjust. Although I, I will say that it's a skill as a player to be able to adjust your play based on sort of what you're learning in the game from, from, from the referee. How do you think, how do you think the like, high levels of penalties affect the game for the for the non rugby fan band, because that was the other interesting part of um, Blah B Car 12's question.
1: Well, a lot of it's going to be interpretation, right? If you have an understanding of what the penalty's for, then you're a little bit more accepting. But if there's confusion around it, new fans probably going to get uh, a little turned off if they're not understanding or the calls aren't consistent, would probably be my only thing I'd say on that. But as long as there's a good explanation, so, which we, we usually get, you know, for our CBS games, we have the referee mic, so you can hear it. You know, there's some referees who are really, really good at explaining their penalties. Uh, he's been begging for a shout-out for weeks. So, Scott Green, I'm talking about you. And, um, you know, I think that side of things can be a little confusing. But overall, I think the action itself speaks loud enough. And uh, you touched on it, mate. As long as, as long as we're improving and moving in the right direction, both on the field and off the field, I don't think it's uh, it's going to be a huge problem. But I will circle back to you, Greg McWilliams' comment, and who would want to be a coach? Ten minutes ago, Taylor Howden scores. I hear just full disclosure. So in Houston, the commentary box is right next to the opposing coach's box. And we heard a couple of bangs throughout the night, in particular when those penalties were going. Greg hitting something. I don't know what it was. But... Uh, after Taylor scores, there is one loud bang. It sounds like two fists on a window or hands on a window, followed by a second loud bang, which is a door slamming shut. I look to my right, and Greg's gone. He's left the box and stormed down to the sideline. All I'm thinking, is like, why would you want to be a coach when you can sit up here with my mate Pete and just call the games?
2: I don't know how you <laughs> did it all
1: those years, buddy. That
2: you know, I uh, the roller
1: coaster um... of coaching.
2: I, I actually think, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's been a really um, powerful and and very good, um, uh, you know, movement to be more aware about like mental health for players, which I think there's, it's always been a huge, a huge issue, but um, you know, admitting you've had problems in the past has been a sign of weakness and the fact that people are able to kind of talk about their mental health, sh- health issues for, um, you know, as a player and then as, as, as an athlete, I think, I think it's powerful. I, 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 I think the next generation of, of that movement is going to be for, for coaches. I know for me, it was, um, you know, unbelievably stressful. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I, I had a, um, a, a business client say to talk to me about how he wasn't stressed about something and he described stress as being something where the outcome is unknown and you have no control. And that's exactly what coaching is. As soon as that whistle blows and they kick, and they kick off, the outcome is unknown and you have no control. <laughs> so that's why it's so stressful. It definitely, it, it definitely was stressful. And, and you know, uh, but I, you know, Greg's a, a great coach and doing great things with Rooney. But we've, we've all been there where we've been like, all right, <laughs> I've, I've seen enough that I need to see up here. You sit up there because you can see the game so well. And you're like, but I need to go down and like talk to the mentality, <laughs> like talk to these guys to get to help them get them through the last four minutes. I need to have some some involvement. So
1: I loved it. He gave us a big smile on the wave before kickoff, and then by the 70th minute, it, it was Jekyll and Hyde. But we do love Greg, great coach, and good to see him get a win down there in Houston. Hey, Pete, this was a long one, but a good one. I love the questions from the fans writing in. So. Make sure you keep submitting your questions and your, uh, your reviews. We love it. We'll try to get them on air. And that was a great question about the referees as well. Maybe we'll circle back and have one of the uh, referees on the show. We had Scott Green on, I believe, last year or the year before. So that could be something for us to look into as well. All right, Pete. Anything else, mate? Go have a baby.
2: Uh, I, I, will, I, will, I will go have a baby. I, I am going to enjoy... Um, staying at home this weekend, I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy um, watching as much of the Major League rugby games live as I can, which is always a bit of a problem when you're travelling. But um, have a great call in DC. And, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll be back on next week, probably with a baby.
1: I love it. Can't wait. A little Elliot on the way. So for Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, I'm Dan Power. This is the MLR Kickoff Podcast.